the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's Gospel from Matthew chapter 22 is the conclusion of the final debate between Jesus and his adversaries. Jesus had told two parables that said essentially God was about to overthrow the leadership in Israel because of its unfaithfulness. In response, these leaders gathered together and tried to discredit Jesus in a public debate. There were three groups of assailants. First, a group called the Herodians, who it seems wanted to restore a descendant of Herod the Great to the throne of Israel. They asked whether it was lawful for a Jewish person, according to the Torah, to pay taxes to Caesar. Then a group called the Sadducees, which was essentially a priestly caste, um, asked Jesus the question about the resurrection. And then lastly, the question in today's gospel from the Pharisees. They asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law or the Torah? The Pharisees believed that all the commandments were of equal importance. So the, the catch was that if Jesus could be made to say that one was more important than the other, they would have ammunition, they would have ammunition to attack him with. But the Pharisees, of course, were not looking for an answer to their question. We know this because Jesus gave the right answer to the question, and their response was to go out and plot to arrest him and kill him. These religious leaders were attempting to win a debate with the very word of God, the one who invented words in the beginning that enable people to talk. Colossians 1 says of Jesus, quote, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things that were, are, that were created were created, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the author and the fulfillment of the Torah. And the Pharisees were arguing with him about its meaning. Jesus' answer is, in fact, an indictment of them. He said that the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor. And, of course, God is standing right in front of them, and they are not loving him with all their heart, soul, and mind. And Jesus is their neighbor right near them, and they are not loving him as they love themselves. In fact, they hated him. In response, Jesus shifted the question. Their questions focused on the commandments, and Jesus' questions focused on the identity of the Messiah. Jesus' first question was simple. Whose descendant is the Messiah supposed to be? All knew the answer, according to the Old Testament, that the Messiah was supposed to be a descendant of King David. The second question Jesus asked them was a harder one. In Psalm 110, King David himself refers to the Messiah as his Lord, which presumes that the Messiah is somehow in existence when King David wrote and was speaking. This is about 1,000 B.C., about 1,000 years before Christ. Thus, Jesus' question to them is, how can the Messiah exist before King David and also be King David's descendant. They didn't have an answer for that one. 
turns out that debating with God is a losing proposition. <clears throat> the argument in the gospel reveals a pattern that is common in religious arguments. People argue about the details of theology or morality in ways that miss the presence and person of Jesus Christ. I do not mean to say that doctrines like the Trinity or the divinity of Christ are unimportant and shouldn't be discussed, or that moral rules don't matter. Our faith requires our amen to the creeds and our obedience to the moral teachings of the New Testament. I mean that angry people and the anger they bring to religious arguments is often more about their own interior issues than it is about a genuine search for truth. The Pharisees pretended to represent the truth, but they were really just protecting their own status and authority. They saw Jesus as a threat to that status. Thus, under the guise of a battle for truth and a battle for Israel, they were fighting their own personal battle, and they missed the presence of Jesus, the Messiah, right in front of them. The danger of being advocates for the truth while missing the presence of Christ is expressed in the second chapter of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, where the risen Christ gives an exhortation or an admonition to the church in Ephesus. He writes or says, quote, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Here, Jesus chastises a church that was right in its theology, a church that persevered in the faith because it was missing the love of Christ. <clears throat> Along with today's gospel, this reminds us that faithfulness involves more than standing up for right doctrine and right moral teaching. We are not called to argue about Jesus. We are called to be witnesses for him. People need more from us than arguments about Jesus. They need to see Jesus in us. It is not enough to know that love is the greatest commandment. We must actually love. As Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our culture is full of the debate pattern in today's gospel. People ask questions not looking to understand their opponent's point of view, but looking merely to prove their own point or to find some error upon which to pounce. We all have adversaries who do that to us. However, as we approach the throne of God on the Lord's day, 
we are called to examine ourselves. The point of today's gospel for us is that those who follow Christ should be different. We should be able to have real conversations with people who disagree with us. I'd offer two rules for civil debate. One, do not enter into a conversation with someone who holds an opinion that is different than yours unless you are genuinely interested in understanding what they really believe and why they believe it, unless you're really able to respect them and honor them as a person. If you just want to celebrate your own opinion or attack someone, don't have the conversation. And two, if someone asks you a question and is not really interested in listening to your answer, walk away from the conversation. It won't be a conversation, just an argument. Both these rules require a level of emotional maturity that followers of Christ should attempt to develop in themselves. Our witness for Christ is not merely a matter of arguing for his doctrine and morality. Our witness is to be like him, which has as much to do with how we function as it has to do with what we say. And this raises the further and more ultimate question, who are we trying to please? Jesus did not feel a need to convince the Pharisees that his answer was right and they were wrong. <clears throat> by his words and by his actions, Jesus was making his case to God the Father. As 1 Peter says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Consequently, Jesus remained blameless, even as his adversaries fell into ever deeper anger and into ever deeper sin. First Peter tells us that Jesus gave us this example that we should follow in his steps. When we allow our adversaries to provoke us to anger and sin, this shows that we care more about the opinion of others in winning arguments than we care about the verdict and opinion of God. It is not our job to convert or convince others. It is our vocation to be witnesses for the truth, both in word and deed, whether or not that witness is accepted. Sometimes being a witness for the truth will get us crucified, but that is the example we are called to follow because God has promised to vindicate us and raise us from the dead also. Our goal is, or should be, the goal expressed in the words with which St. Paul closes our epistle today. Quote, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.